Welcome to the Valley View Friends Church Sunday Morning Podcast. Thank you for joining us. And if you want to learn more about our church, look us up on Facebook or our website at valleyviewfriendschurch.org. One of my early memories of Christmas celebrations was of my parents, myself, my grandparents, aunt, uncle, and cousins all going to my grandparents' church for Christmas Eve. Every year the service was the same. He had different people playing the roles and parts of the program, but they all portrayed various figures from the Christmas story in a sort of musical parade, a pageant, if you will. The usual suspects were always there, Mary, Joseph, shepherds and angels, and of course, three kings. The first time I remember seeing these kings, I was just a little boy, maybe four or five years old. The lights were dimmed. The pipe organ played a regal piece that thrummed with the deepest notes in the organ. It might have been the only time of year those low pipes were used. The room seemed to vibrate with the deep music. Then, to at least to a little boy, three mysterious men came down the aisle of the sanctuary. They came one at a time wearing robes of green and red and blue. Each one had a spotlight on them that matched the color of their robes. And each one that walked down the aisle, each time the music grew louder and more intense. One of them would always swing a container of burning incense, making the room, well to a little boy at least, smell funny. As a little boy, I didn't trust these three guys. It was a lot of noise and darkness. All the focus seemed to be on them. Each year, my family attended the same Christmas Eve service. And each year, I got more used to it, and the different parts of the program became a familiar heartbeat to my Christmas Eve memories. Eventually, the Three Kings became my favorite part of the program. I loved that deep organ music. Uh, the robes looked a little older, maybe a little war more worn than they used to, but they were familiar. The incense flooded the room and filled my mind with Christmas memories, and when I smelled that incense, I'd go, Ah, there they are, the three men dressed in blue and red and green. There are the kings. It's Christmas time. Rhythms and routines can become an anchor point for our lives. They signal good old days and good memories. And often, maybe sometimes unfortunately, the memory is sweeter than the past actually was. I'm grateful for these anchor points. They're important. The funny thing about such memories is we can feel great emotion about our own ties to them, and in that emotion, we miss some of the meaning of the reality. Every nativity scene that I can think of has three wise men present, kings from afar, and they're usually on camels. Christmas cards portray these travelers following a bright star. But the holiday memory separates us from some important information. On the night or the day that Jesus was born, there were no wise men at the side of the manger. There were shepherds, and there were angels celebrating in the heavens. And of course, there is Mary and Joseph, and I'm sure they looked far more frazzled than our Christmas cards show them to be. But the wise men, they came later. It's very likely that the wise men came even as much as two years after that first Christmas day. And just what were these wise men trying to do? Why did they come at all? Why these wise men? Why not other ones? I'm not really sure the Bible gives us an answer to why the Magi from the East. What were they expecting to happen after they encountered the toddler Jesus? But today, I want to ask you to put aside your greeting card memories of the wise men in the Christmas story and hear their story and, and hear in their story that in Jesus' kingdom, 
there is a place for everyone, even the most unlikely of people, and that these three wise men teach us a lesson in worship that is dangerous, sacrificial, and regal. We need to learn to worship like these wise men do. Let's read the text in Matthew chapter 2, verses 1 through 12. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one who, is to be, who has been born King of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose, and have come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed, and all of Jerusalem with him. When he called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Messiah was to be born. In Bethlehem, in Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet has written. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you will come a ruler, one who will shepherd my people, Israel. Then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go, and search carefully for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me, so that I too may go and worship him. After they had heard the king, they went on their way, and the star they had seen when it rose ahead of them uh, went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother, Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. So what do we know about these wise guys? Well, we really don't know much about the wise men. The text calls them magi, which literally is magicians. These wise men are not really kings. The idea of them being kings comes from various Old Testament passages declaring that kings would bow down to the Messiah, like Psalm 72.11, where it says, May all kings bow down to him and all nations serve him. And over the years, people have wondered if these wealthy magi were maybe kings, and the idea stuck. Though they're not kings, they would have been powerful men, powerful men who were in the courts of kings. These were no mere trick-conjuring magicians, as much as they were men who studied the stars for signs. Yeah, that means they were astrologers, and they applied the wisdom of the ages to sound uh, knowledgeable, and, well, they tried to give advice concerning the religions of the kings and who they served. These wise men were not Jewish. They were pagans. They were outsiders, and they were the most unlikely worshipers of Jesus. By every measure, they do not belong in the story of Jesus. That is to say, they do not belong in Jesus' story if we were writing the rules about who gets to join the kingdom and worship Jesus. But we don't. God does. And that's what he's telling us in this story. Unlikely people are invited in the kingdom of God. We're not sure where they came from, these magi. It tells us the east, and that usually refers to Persia or Babylon or Arabia, or in other words, modern-day Iran, Iraq, and Saudi Arabia. There would have been Jewish communities in these areas. Uh, That's probably how the magi came into contact with the Old Testament prophecy about the Messiah. Uh, Perhaps even that's why they were looking for Jesus, uh, the Messiah. If they were coming out of the area of Babylon, they would have traveled over 900 miles by foot or, yeah, probably by camel. But they wouldn't have traveled alone. 
These were powerful men. They would have had bodyguards. They would have had servants. They would have had an entire entourage that could have been noticed from miles away. And the reality is, is there probably were not three of them. When it comes to the traditions of the Western Church, that's where we get the idea of three. You know, we read the story and say, oh, there's, there's three gifts, so there must have been three givers. So there's three magi, three kings, three wise men. In the Eastern Church, they believe there were twelve to match the tribes of Israel or the disciples. The reality is, is we're just told there's a group of them. It could have been three, it could have been thirty. The Bible does not tell us how many. Just that it was a group, and they traveled far and intended to worship the new king of Israel. So how did these wise men end up in our Christmas Eve nativity stories? Well, I don't have an answer, except that they are a part of the group that heralds the arrival of the Messiah. They fit the chorus of voices really well. One thing that the Christmas story tells us is that the kingdom of Jesus is for everyone. See, the wise men show us how people typically think. At the beginning of our text, we're told that the Magi go straight to Jerusalem. They know a king has been born, uh, and they know that someone who will change the world has arrived, and so they say, oh, let's go to the capital. Let's go to the center of power and talk to the current ruler of Israel, Herod. Because that's human. We tend to think that big things happen in powerful places and in powerful moments. We look for God to work in a flash, in a bang. We think he shows up when, we are, when we're prospering, when all is right. We want to see God in what we call the powerful and perfect moments. But he doesn't show up in the powerful and perfect moments. So he does, but less often than we like to think. You know, I like to watch toddlers open presents. They remind me when I see them that our perfect plans and our perfect moments are not what we really think they are. You know, I love it when a toddler opens a present and they love it. And if you're a parent, if you're a guardian, if you're a grandparent, you work hard to purchase that gift. And you want it to be just right. You probably planned what it was. I know that my little boy or little girl, they just love trains or or dolls or whatever it is. You just pick the right thing. But more often than not, after they open the present and they have a smile on their face, they more often than not, they put the toy aside. And, and what do they do? They play with the box. They play with the plain brown box the item came in. We want the big moment and they like the simple thing, the box, the unplanned for, not special thing. You know, we look for God in the perfect moment, and he's often waiting in the plain, brown, dreary moments of life if we just open up our eyes to see him. The wise men looked in Jerusalem, but Jesus was in Bethlehem. He's now a two-year-old boy. His parents are staying in the place of his birth. They've upgraded from a stable to a house, but think about it. Bethlehem is not a center of power. There's no fanfare in the life of Mary and Joseph. The first Christmas morning saw a manger for a bed. The shepherds were there instead of priests. Uh, everything about Jesus' arrival is telling us that those who are on the outside now have the opportunity to come into God's kingdom. And this is true for you as well. You have an invitation to join the kingdom of Jesus. Nothing in who you are, your family history, or the mistakes you have made exclude you from your invitation. We're all called to leave our old self behind and confess our sins to Christ. 
but each of us have an opportunity to declare Jesus king over our lives and to join his kingdom. There's room for all if we would believe and if we would enter on King Jesus' terms instead of our own. I wish I could tell you why the wise men made this journey, but I can't. All I can tell you is that they are a message about how the most unlikely of people are free to come to King Jesus. And they also show us a lot about worship, and I want to talk about that for a couple of minutes here. See, what are the qualities of the wise men and how they worship? I want to be careful. Nothing tells us that the wise men left Jesus as newly minted disciples. For all we know, they were giving honor to a prophesied king. But in reality, they might not have understood the full significance of worshiping Jesus. But there are a few lessons that we can learn. First is this, their worship was obedient. No doubt there were several moments on their journey where it would have made more sense to turn around and head home. They could have given up and they, they, they could have given up when they heard that a king was out of Israel. Now, that might strike you as a surprise, but, you know, Israel wasn't a world power. Rome was the power. What benefit would there have been to worshiping an Israelite king? They could have turned around and went home and they found out the new king wasn't in Jerusalem, but in a nothing town of Bethlehem. Why worship a peasant king? They could have turned around when they saw two-year-old Jesus. Why worship a toddler? But these wise men were obedient. And their obedience became a declaration to the whole world and throughout all of history that the Messiah is here. And for us, obedience in worship is important. It's critical. Richard Baxter says this, The cost of obedience is nothing compared to the cost of disobedience. And the wise men show us the importance of obedience in our worship. Their worship was also costly. I would remind you that like these magi, uh, these magi likely traveled 900 miles or more. That's an expensive journey. They left powerful kingly courts for an extended period of time. Each day away from their place of power was a day uh, they lost influence and a day they gave someone else to move in on their territory. And that journey, whether it was 900 or maybe, maybe it was 800 miles, maybe it was more than that. It was a long journey regardless. And the journey took at least months to make. These wise men put their lives on hold to worship Jesus. How much do you... This is an important question to ask. And you need to hear it. Because the wise men put their lives on hold to worship Jesus. How much of your life do you put on hold to worship Jesus? I think many people today put Jesus on hold while they chase after an activity-filled life. And you know, the wise men, their worship was costly because they put their reputations on the line. They could have been laughed out of Jerusalem. Remember, they're the unwelcome outsiders. They could have been laughed out even just for saying, we're going to go worship a king in Bethlehem. They were willing to give costly worship. And we know that their actual gifts were expensive. I mean, gold we understand, right? That's expensive. And frankincense and myrrh, I don't want to go too much into those two gifts. but And I know those are harder for us to understand, but at least know this, that frankincense and myrrh were perfumes used by royalty and the wealthy. They were expensive. The worship was costly. And I wonder today if our worship is more costly or if it's more convenient. I think probably for myself, sometimes I err on the side of convenience when it should be costly.
Another lesson from the wise guys, the wise men. Their worship was for the king. Now, that might seem obvious. They traveled to see the new king. But as you read the story and you see the honor the wise men give to Jesus, they worship him as the king. They do not worship just a a miracle. They're not worshiping an experience. They're not chasing a feel-good moment. Their worship is directed to and informed by the king of kings. And I wonder sometimes if we think about how much worship makes us feel and how it recharges us and and maybe we worship Jesus because what he's done for us and those reasons are all real, but those reasons are all about us. How does it make me feel? How does it refresh me? It's because of what Jesus has done for me. It's it's an about me moment, but it needs to be about Jesus. During the tenure of the great orator Henry Ward Beecher, there was a visiting pastor. It's actually Beecher's brother, and he substituted in for the popular pastor that day. And a large audience had already assembled to hear Henry Ward Beecher, and when the substitute pastor Uh, pastor stepped into the pulpit, several disappointed listeners began to move towards the exits, and then the minister opened his mouth and said loudly, all who have come here today to worship Henry Ward Beecher may now withdraw from the church. All who have come to worship God, keep to your seats. I just wonder, do we worship Jesus? Or do we worship ourselves? Do we worship our experience we have, that feeling we get from worship? Our heart of worship needs to be about King Jesus and King Jesus alone. Another lesson. The Magi, their worship served Jesus' kingdom. I mentioned the three gifts, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. These are expensive, and and that's another detail about them is they serve Jesus' kingdom. There's two ways I can easily see that they serve Jesus' kingdom. They, one, are a message about the mission of Jesus. Gold is a message about the authority of Jesus. He is a royal power. Frankincense is a message uh, about the purpose of Jesus. His frankincense was a spice that was used on the altar in the Jewish temple when sacrifices were given for the atonement of sins given to God. Frankincense was used, and this would foreshadow that Jesus was the atonement for our sins. And myrrh, well, that was a perfume that was used for burying the dead foreshadowed the crucifixion, Jesus laying down his life for our sins. The worship from the Magi served the kingdom of Jesus, both in message and then in a very practical way. Because after the Magi visit with Jesus, Joseph and Mary and Jesus have to flee from Herod. He's going to try to kill them, and so they've got to run to Egypt and hide. And these expensive gifts will fund that relocation. It ensures their safety when they have to leave their home in Bethlehem. Have you ever thought about how your worship serves the kingdom of Jesus? It should. Another bit about the Magi and their worship, it's a real quick one, is that their worship was wise. See, the Magi greet Herod with optimism, and then they heed the warning carefully in a dream about his danger. And from that, we should learn to let your worship of God be optimistic to all around you, and yet be wary when danger is apparent. Be open to all, be excited about all, be wise and wary when danger is near. The Magi tell us a lot about worship. Perhaps they're a bit of a wake-up call to how we should approach Jesus. Well, there's one last lesson I'd like to just toss out there. It's a short one, and it involves Herod's worship. 
Because we can all see that Herod is a dangerous man. But he tells the Magi that he wants to worship Jesus too. It's there in verse 8. It says, As soon as you find him, report to me, so that I too may go and worship him. But Herod's worship was false. It was selfish. He was his own king, and he would not have anyone else be king in his life. He wanted to kill Jesus. Now, we may not think as wickedly as Herod does, but we are prone to being our own kings. See, the Magi and their opposite Herod give us a master class in worship. They all tell us that it's not about us, it's about Jesus. And perhaps that is the calling you need to hear in the new year. This year, put yourself aside and truly make Christ king of your life. Make him the focus of your worship. Peter Forsyth says this, The first duty of every soul is to find not its freedom, but its master. And that is what we are called to do. Do you worship Jesus as your king? Let us pray. Lord, I pray that you will receive this worship that we have offered today as a declaration of King Jesus in our lives. Help us to put aside our own egos, our own ambitions, so that we would stop being little kings and start serving the kingdom of King Jesus. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Go with Jesus.